Welcome everyone to the Learn Fresh podcast. My name is Nick Monzi, CEO and co-founder of Learn Fresh, and I'm joined by Calvin Seibert, our chief academic officer, my co-host, and affectionately and appropriately nicknamed the game changer of education. Changing the game. Today, we're going to share reflections on the racial justice movement and what it means for education in part one of a two-part episode that we recorded in December 2020. Throughout this conversation, we'll talk about how we've seen these themes play out in our own lives, in the classroom, and through our work with Learn Fresh. In part one, we explore how the American education system approaches Black history and U.S. history more generally, and how teaching, technology, and pedagogy can contribute to combating racism and building racial equity. Today, on the Learn Fresh podcast. So the Black Lives Matter kind of, I know that's the, the talk now, but um, I remember uh, when I was a kid, my, my mother and father pretty much explained to me that Black Lives Matter without saying that. And they did that by, um, and I don't know if this was a strategic way, but they put me in pretty much um, schools where I was the only black kid uh, in those schools. And, you know, I, I went through uncomfortable times and, you know, people, kids saying things to me um, that weren't so cool. Um, I remember trying to be friends with the cool kids and, and them saying that my hair didn't look like theirs and things like that. So going back to that time, what my parents were really doing is they were explaining to me how the world is going to be, you know, when I get older. And I remember asking my mom specifically, uh, can you put me in the schools where, where my friends in my neighborhood are? And she would say, no, you need to go to these schools. And um, the bottom line is she, she wanted me to experience different people and she wanted me to be able to deal with different behaviors mm -hmm. and without fighting, uh, without being violent, without, you know, without all of those things, pretty much the nonviolent route that Dr. Martin Luther King talks about, talked about. And so my mother and father were really big on me learning my own history. And I think that's where that's where a huge piece of the movement really starts. Mm -hmm. um, if you don't know what your history is or where you came from and how it all happened and where do you stand now, where do we stand then, if you don't know those moments, then it's kind of hard to stand on a solid ground. If, you don't, if you're not sure about your past, if you're not sure about your people, if you're not sure about your culture, if you're not sure about those things, then it, it, it kind of throws you for a loop and, and you can be pulled into a lot of different directions. Uh, so I remember times my mother taking me to the library and specifically telling me to pick out books about black history. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember them not being in the areas where the other cool books were. <laughs> like it was hard to find. <laughs> it, you know, they were hard to find. They didn't have uh, attractive books uh, book covers and things like that they were just like these solid books like <laughs> pretty much this is what you if you want to learn it this is what you got to read and uh i remember my my mom saying you know things like just take it 
you know, take a couple pages at a time. And, you know, she was trying to teach me how to study <laughs> at 10 years old. That was, that was pretty tough, but um, I, I, I got it, though. I, I understood what she was really trying to do. And to know that I had all these other friends that looked just like me, but they weren't learning the same stuff. They didn't, they didn't know about their history. They knew about the typical things that, you know, the education system teaches. Rosa Parks, Dr. Martin Luther King, and kind of leaving it at that. Um, so the extra work that, that needs to be put in, it's like, will, will the kids really do that? Well, one, you got to have, you got to have some strong parents to make you do that. I, I did. I had strong parents. My father wasn't really so strong on find out about your history, but he was more strong on what does your mother say? <laughs> so yeah. it was, uh, they were on the same page about it. I knew that I had to do it and I knew I had both parents to, to check up on me about it. So then it started to get interesting because I started learning a lot of things about black people that were not shared in the in the education space on tv uh through songs you you didn't hear about this stuff so it was like uh it was like i was getting unplugged <laughs> i was finding out about all this stuff like and it was and it was very interesting because like you said like i said everything that we are used to hearing were the same things during those black history you know during black history month or you know dr martin luther king's birthday and things like that so yeah and there's there's a, a ton of power in that and i'm just thinking as you're talking about what that means like this idea of digging into your history and understanding that for the white population in america right or for other populations in america um we've talked about this in the past personally and in other settings but you know, history as a vehicle for learning in this country is built around a very specific narrative, which is a white narrative. And yes, like in a history class, we talk about slavery. And yes, we talk about the Civil War. And yes, we talk about Reconstruction. And we talk about the Civil Rights era in the 1940s and 50s and and 60s but i think you know looking thinking back on personal experience like when that gets delivered to you particularly in predominantly white classrooms it gets delivered in the context of those moments being victories um and i think in the like the long arc of progress like there are victories embedded within those moments but they're not complete victories like those moments didn't create wholesale change for black americans they didn't create wholesale change for the lgbtq community they didn't create wholesale change for indigenous americans and sometimes it's presented like that sometimes it's presented like the civil rights movement was the the cure to the moment and I think there's a tremendous amount of damage that gets done because of that. You see it with things like the Trump administration, you know, blocking government access to diversity training. You see it in some of their responses to the way that history is taught in classrooms. 
and the initiatives that they were pushing and, and, and the initiatives that they were discouraging folks from participating in. And so when you're when you talk about that, I think, well, you know, what does that mean for white America to confront its own history as well and its own reality and be honest with that and then use that as a launching pad to to change the way that we as society think? Because just as you talked about, you know, you were exposed to folks in your community who were different than you, who had different backgrounds than you, had different narratives than you. And that was powerful for you. And your parents saw the value in that and it helped shape the way that you thought about the world. Like that same experience is incredibly lacking for folks from other populations in this country. And then I think just the last point on this, and then I'll toss it back to you. You know, one of the things I've been struck by as we've had conversations with the Australians um, who were featured on our last episode, whenever they do events, even virtual events, there's an acknowledgement at the beginning for the land in which the event is being held because that land is indigenous land. And I've heard it not only with the folks that we're working with now and the events that they host, but in a number of different events in that country. I believe that in Canada, that's, that's a ritual as well. That acknowledgement is so powerful, even in its brevity. Um, and it's something that we don't do at all, right? So what are ways in which we can we can be stronger about that as a country? That's, that's such a, a huge question mark that resonates with me every day. Well, I think it's like, I think, the education system is, I think we're really far behind, but I want to talk about solutions and how do you get, when you're behind in anything, you just got to do more to catch up. You got to, mm -hmm. you got to, you got to move a little bit quicker. You got to, you got to, you got to pivot the right way. You know, you got to do the right things in the moment, you know, cause you could do the wrong, you could do the right things in the wrong season. Just like, it, you know, um, this whole movement happened because there was repeated things that just kept happening. You, you can only, you know, and I hate to throw this in there, but you can only bully the quiet kid for so long. Mm -hmm. And then that kid is finally going to say enough is enough. I don't care how that kid was raised enough is enough at some point. And so that's what that's what happened with the movement in my opinion because things have been going on I'm 44 years old and I remember being 15 years old and being racial racially profiled and things like and even before that. Right. Um so but some something you said made me think of this too um I remember because of my parents, I remember looking at the history books every year and I wanted to challenge them. I wanted, I w actually wanted to say, you know what? They do teach more black history than what you said. Hmm. I wanted to prove that to my, to my parents. And, and when I would get my history book or social studies book, I would look through it and I, I, I'll never forget. It will always be like this little bitty chapter. And Here's here's what really bothered me, the moments when the teachers said we're not even we're gonna skip past that. 
I'm like, oh no, mm-hmm. don't skip past. That was the one. I was waiting <laughs> on that chapter. Right, right. right. <laughs> like, I know it's just me. Hold on, can we? <laughs> hold on, can we really go over the chapter yeah. for me? <laughs> and not, and then not even really for me. How about for everyone else? Because I, you know, I I know this part. This is the same part that's in every book. Yeah, I did move around to different um, Catholic private schools and things, but it was the same. I knew I knew what was there. Yeah. But I, I, I think that was that's pretty deep how they chose not to teach it and it was no there was no issue. So kind of fast forwarding it to when I was in the classroom as a teacher, I I made sure to try to um slide in some black history when I could. Mm-hmm. You know, because I know that it's really only in february or you know a little bit of january i I know that so you know on the flip side of it i was able to kind of share some more about our history and then kind of challenge challenge my students to do the same thing that my parents challenged me to do I, i said here's the difference when i was young and had to do this i had to look through card catalogs at you know, and files at, you know, index cards. And they're like, you know, they don't even know what that means, card catalog. Yeah. So it's like, I'm like, yeah. um, pretty much you guys have Google and the internet to search all of the all of these things that you want to find out about. Mm-hmm. We didn't have that then. So it was harder for us. So now trying to get a generation to understand that they need to do the same thing. You know, you can't. You don't, I used to say things like, you don't want to go to college and and take a take an African history class or a black history type of class mm-hmm. and not even know your own history. Right. Like, you got to know, you got to do some research before you get there. And uh, I used to try to just say things that would make, you know, make, t- to challenge them pretty much. That's what this generation is. This is a challenge, this is a challenge generation. This is a, a generation that says, prove it show it to me right now i don't have an hour i got like show it matter of fact show it to me in a TikTok video if you could <laughs> show me show me something in 15 to 20 seconds that makes sense and uh and i'll believe you so now that's even a harder thing to do because yeah. the time you know everything is just so fast we're in the fast food world fast food generation and just everything if it's not presented you know easily and right in front of you and not a click away, then it's then it's sometimes a challenge. My mom used to tell me when I would tell her things about kids in school being mean to me and saying, you know, racist things. She would always say, now, Calvin, you know that those kids are, they didn't even, they didn't do the stuff that really happened. It's not them. And actually, and it it wasn't even their parents. Mm -hmm. There's this thing that gets passed down. um, And and she's like, you know, it's not, I don't want you to treat them the way that they're treating you. I don't want you to say names and things back to them. I want you to understand that some people are raised to be this way. But if you treat them the right way, even when they're doing that, it might change them. And I think that's why I'm such a go against the grain type of person yeah. because uh, 
it's like oh you you've heard some things about my people but they're not really accurate i'm i'm not i'm not a thug i'm not a gangster i'm not i'm not a thief i'm not i'm not those things i'm i'm a real person and uh i got issues just like you <laughs> i'm hungry i want to i like to have fun and you know i bleed if i if i get hurt we're, we're really the same and so then it became like this challenge for me to try to to try to see how many people I can get to like me with, you know, without, um, without having to jump through all these hoops and stuff like that. Yeah. And like that, so that point, there are a couple of things that I want to lift up from what you just said. One is, um, the start, like the starting point, we don't have control over. Starting point happened hundreds of years ago, and I feel like people use that as a justification to say, "Well, I like this isn't my like this is my problem now, right? This that happened hundreds of years ago. Things are fine now, you know. Why, why do I need to be worrying about this? And and I think that that's a dangerous space to live in, but we have. You know, there are millions of people who live there. Taking ownership over the moment as a, as a community, as a world, as a, as a country and saying, OK, well, we don't have we didn't have control over that. We haven't even had control over what happened 100 years ago or 70 years ago, but we have control over this moment right now. Um, personally, that's what I saw from a lot of the folks this summer who stood up and said, OK, well, you know, now is the time to to continue moving the ball down the field. Um, and I think that that ownership over the moment is something that is really important to champion with folks of all backgrounds, because it ultimately it takes everyone in the country to create this time, kind of change. I was just going to say kind of like the, I, when you said uh, move the, the ball down the field, I thought of Colin Kaepernick, like yeah. when he did that, people were looking like, what is this guy doing? Like, like what's the big deal? And then, then you see why later. It's almost like somebody has to put their foot down. Or Someone deal. has to have the courage yeah, to step it's, up. It's yeah. the courage. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 to do so without fear of consequence, or at least with an acknowledgement of of what the consequences can be. Um, so that's that's one thing that I think is really valuable from what you said. Another is, and this, this cuts across a couple of things that we've been talking about, just, just for going back to education and history and how that relates to where black history in particular is placed. Like, is there value in having a month for that? Yeah, probably to, to be able to, to celebrate a culture. I also really believe that like, in those moments where we are learning about this moment in history or this concept in mathematics or science or this form of music, like those moments need to be moments of honesty too. And particularly when those moments are difficult, they get whitewashed in a way that is not productive for the longer term trajectory of society. So 
I think, yeah, we we should continue to celebrate culture in specific moments, but how do we make sure that we're being honest when we tell like the traditional narrative of whatever it is that we're talking about? That's another thing that just bothers me personally when I look at the way that we approach education and fuels some of the work that we're doing around the fellowship. Um, and then the last thing is just connection between people and the power of being able to see someone else for who they really are. You know, you were talking about when people really got to know me or when, when people really get to know my family or my community, like they see that we're a bunch of good people too. Like the reality behind connect human connection and there are so many anecdotes of this in the world where people from, you know, X place who's, you know, of X age and X background meets this other person who's completely different and they have this honest conversation and all of a sudden they see each other for the first time. You see those videos all over the internet, like that connection and the ways in which we can bring people together across community. If there was one thing in education that I personally could fix, it would be closing those literal geographic place-based gaps to give students an opportunity to see each other more clearly. And I think the internet, like you talked about social media, the, the internet and social media helps because everyone who's on there is like right in front of each other always. <laughs> now, I mean, content can be skewed. You could get more of the content that you prefer to look at or content that's um, more in line with your interests, but everyone's there and it's way more immediate. I think there's a way to harness that and like take the power of that connection and use it for benefit within education. Um, last point on this is just that, you know, one, one moment in my life that stands out to me personally. So through uh, 23andMe and all these other things, I've actually found out that I have some, I have some uh, Middle Eastern heritage, but you know, you growing up in the U.S., particularly over the last 15 to 20 years, you you look at the turmoil in the Middle East and you have assumptions about like the the chaos of the region and all that. Right. I One of the first trips that I took out of the country, and it was actually the first trip that I took by myself out of the country, was um, to Abu Dhabi and Dubai. Um, now, granted, that's a, a very like shiny place in the Middle East in terms of wealth and all that. But when I went there by myself, I, you know, it, it was, it was, I don't want to say eye opening because I, would, I wouldn't say that I went into it with ignorance, but it was enlightening in the sense that I felt at home around people who were not like myself because ultimately they had similar values and they lived similar lives and they had similar, you know, kind of fundamental desires and, they were friendly and welcoming and, and educational and they shared their culture. And that moment for me, which was now probably, I don't know, eight years ago, seven years ago, was so impactful because I was like, well, this is a part of the world that I've never been to before that I may have had some preconceptions about. And I went there and I was like, well, 
this is like being at home. Um, so that's an extreme example of a connection, but like we can do that. We can do that from Philly to Camden. We can do that from New York to LA. We can do that from Oklahoma to uh, Egypt. Like th there are ways to do that now and the power of education to close those gaps is, is something that's really interesting to me. That's part one of today's show. Thanks for listening. To hear the second half of the conversation, you can head over to part two. The Learn Fresh podcast is produced by our very own Nick Monzi and Sumner Becker with additional production assistance from Caitlin Woodward. Sumner Becker also does our engineering, editing, and music. The Learn Fresh podcast is part of the Side Audio Network an audio community founded by Jeremiah Ote and Naranjan Kumar. Shout out to Jeremiah of the Learn Friends family. <laughs> the Side Audio Network hosts podcasts that aim to transfer trust between people and communities through storytelling and conversation.